from the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, being a Christian and a scientist. Host Leif Anderson, president of the NAE, talks with Ian Hutchinson, professor of nuclear science and engineering at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Let's join in. I'm Leif Anderson, president of NAE, here with Ian Hutchinson, who is both a professor at MIT and a deeply committed Christian. Professor Hutchinson researches plasma physics and its practical applications. He and his MIT team designed and built and operate an international facility whose magnetically confined plasmas are prototypical of a future fusion reactor. He holds a bachelor's degree in physics from Cambridge University and a PhD in engineering physics from Australian National University. Ian Hutchinson has written and spoken widely on the relationship between science and Christianity. His book, Monopolizing Knowledge, explores how the error of scientism feeds today's culture wars. He also contributed to the NAE's publication, When God and Science Meet, with an essay on science as a Christian calling. And at the end of our program today, I'm going to give you uh, a web address and a prompt that you can use to get a free copy of this book sent to you. Today's conversation topic is on Ian Hutchinson's experience of being a Christian and a scientist. Evangelicals, the research shows, are more than twice as likely as the general public to say that science and religion are in conflict, and evangelicals saying that they're on the side of religion. That having been said, it's not most. It's 29% of evangelicals think of it that way and 14% of the general public. But among those who do say this, distrust of scientists, their motives, expertise, influence, and the role of science in society underlines much of the tension. And it goes both ways. One in five people in the general public perceive that there is hostility by scientists toward religion. And among evangelical scientists, it's even higher. A strong majority, actually 57%, perceive hostility from scientists toward religion. So there is a sense that scientists may have no room for faith and that evangelicals look to the Bible as their only scientific text. So, Professor Hutchinson, welcome to today's conversation and thank you for talking with us today. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So let me start out and just go right to a question that I'm sure you have been asked many times. What exactly is fusion plasma physics? Yeah, um, so fusion is a form of a nuclear energy that arises from reactions between the nuclei of um, our atoms in, in the regular world. And, and nuclear power, as we currently experience it, is based on fission, that is breaking up heavy elements like uranium, and that releases energy. But it turns out that if you take very light elements like hydrogen and its isotopes and, and fuse those together, react them together, making heavy elements, that also releases energy. And, and that, that energy source, fusion energy, is the energy source of the sun and stars. And um, the question we've been researching for 60 years or so is, can we bring that energy source of the sun and stars down to Earth on the terrestrial human scale, and can we make it into a practical 
energy source in, by which we can generate electricity and supply our energy needs. And that's uh, been the aim of fusion research. And, and basically, um, uh, that's the, res the research or the motivation, at any rate, for the research that I've been doing through most of my career. Plasmas, um, to address the other part of, uh, of the title, uh, plasmas are incredibly hot ionized gases. They're, they're gases that are so hot that the electrons are stripped away from the nuclei. And the reason why we deal in those plasmas uh, in fusion research is that in order to make fusion reactions take place, you need extremely energetic collisions between the nuclei, and that requires extremely high temperatures. Temperatures in the vicinity of 100 million degrees Celsius. That's hotter than the center of the sun. And when you have um, some matter that is at such a high temperature, it, be it becomes what's called a plasma. And so what I do, I and my colleagues here at MIT do, is we study the behavior of these incredibly hot gases called plasmas combined using magnetic fields. If you have, a, if you have something that's 100 million degrees centigrade, you don't just put it in a regular bottle um, because it would either vaporize the bottle or it would immediately cool the plasma down. So we, we um, confine it using magnetic fields, immaterial fields and heat these plasmas and that's and we're basically studying the behavior of plasmas combined combined by magnetic fields with a view to making fusion energy a human reality and i looked up on the internet and found the picture of the equipment that you use and it looks like um a scene out of a science fiction movie and <laughs> it is an amazing piece of equipment and shows your staff there with you central in uh the staff picture with this what do we call the machine that you're working with? The, the type of confinement device that I'm using is called a tokamak, and that's a, that just basically refers to a toroidal, that is, donut-shaped plasma um, held with a magnetic field in a chamber. And, uh, but there are lots of very complicated pieces of equipment that generate the magnetic fields in the first place, that cool the magnets, that, that uh, make the vacuum in which we generate the plasma and so forth. Uh, you, you know, you referred to science fiction. Um, uh, fusion made it in, uh, in, um, into the movies in, uh, in uh, Spider-Man and his in, in interactions with Dr. Octopus. Uh, the, type, the, the type of fusion that's um, often portrayed in uh, these kinds of movie situations is kind of different from reality, but nevertheless, you, it gives you something of the impression of the sorts of complexity of the um, equipment that we're studying. Um, and so we have a major facility here at MIT that enables people to study these incredibly hot gases. People come from all around the world to do experiments on the plasma, uh, trying to understand it better and trying to um, improve the design of a fusion reactor. There's, a, there's an experiment in the south of France called ITER, it's currently under construction, that is much, a much bigger version of the device, the tokamak that we have here at MIT. It's a much bigger version that, um, if successful, will demonstrate um, a controlled fusion reaction, keeping itself hot using its own uh, reactions and generating about 500 megawatts of power for 100 of seconds at a time. 
Yes, and that French research has been in the press because I and others have read about it. I must admit, I never would have associated Spider-Man with MIT. I don't know where he went to college, but that is a surprise <laughs> to me that I will long remember. So let's uh, switch a little bit here to talk about um, the faith aspect. Are there ways in your work that you see the workings of God? Well, I think um, the workings of God are are evident to everyone in a certain sense um, because I see creation as a whole as being um, an act of God, uh, that God is the creator. And so when I'm studying natural sciences, I take myself to be studying the handiwork of God. So in that sense, for any scientist, uh, there is a sense in which uh, God is present in what they study. Um, of course, um, for unbelieving scientists, for people who don't recognize God, um, perhaps the Creator is unrecognized in the work that they do. But, but whoever we are in science, we can recognize the wonder of nature. And, and for me as a Christian, that means the wonder of creation as well. Um, so that's the first thing I would point to um, in terms of God at work uh, in my science. Uh, science is indeed the study of um, God's creation. Um, the other thing, um, though, there are many other ways in which I think um, God comes into um, my science as a Christian. I, I certainly think that when you think about scientists, you, people, you think about people who are technically very knowledgeable and skillful. Um, that's an important part of science. But there are other parts of science which are just as important, uh, where I think uh, the things we think more traditionally as being uh, part of our relationship to God um, comes in. And I'm thinking of interpersonal relationships. Um, I'm thinking about leadership uh, qualities, um, organization, administration, uh, dealing with people. I think all of those types of things are also an important part of science. And so um, that's something that I've learned over my career, and, and I've been in various different leadership roles. Um, I've found that various types of human um, and personal characteristics are just as important in being successful um, as a scientist. And I certainly think that um, whatever skills I possess in those areas, um, you know, are, are, are skills and experience that I've, um, where I've benefited greatly from my Christian experience, from my uh, study of the scriptures, from uh, my experience with church and worship and so forth. And I think those aspects are also important in science. So those, there, there are two examples, I think, of ways in which I think God is present at work in my science. Your Christian faith shows through it, just did, in the, the way you described seeing the workings of God in science. But I've also heard you speak to audiences that are primarily secular and scientists, and you are very clear in uh, your Christian commitment and faith. So uh, tell us about that. What, what led to your faith in Christ? Yeah, I mean, I became a Christian when I was an undergraduate at Cambridge University. I'm an Englishman born and bred, um, but I've lived in America now for over 30 years. Um, and uh, a lot of 
uh, of preparation perhaps led up to my becoming a Christian, but I think the most important influences on me as a, as a student were um, that I had uh, two very close friends who were Christian people and uh, whose lives seemed attractive to me. I wasn't completely ignorant by any means of Christianity and of the Bible, having studied it a little bit at high school and, and so forth, but it never really had any kind of reality to me until um, partly under the uh, influence and invitation of these two friends, I went to a series of lectures given by Michael Green, who's a well-known um, preacher and, and evangelist in the UK. Um, and I heard for the first time, uh, at least it seemed to me the first time, um, a, a kind of clear explanation of simply the, the Christian gospel, the, the idea that, um, that um, we are sinners, that, that Christ died for our sin, and that um, um, by virtue of that saving work, we can have a personal relationship with God. And uh, it was at that time that I took the step of commitment to Christ and, and, um, and experienced the reality of God in my life. And um, that's been a reality ever since. Um, and how did your academic friends, how did they react to this? Um, you know, there were different reactions when, when you know, obviously when I, when I first became uh, a Christian, um, some of my student friends noted um, that fact with some bemusement and some with excitement. And, and that was even true of some of my secular non-Christian friends who, who seemed to, to sort of want to celebrate with me the, fine, the fact that I had, in a certain sense, found Christ. That was remarkable to me. Over the years, um, I've been fairly outspoken in terms of uh, uh, declaring my Christian commitments. Um, and I have found that these that, that that has not generally speaking led people um, in science to resent uh, or uh, criticize my um, religious positions in general um, you know we think of uh, the sciences very often or people speak of the sciences as being inhospitable to Christianity and and it's, and some scientists are inhospitable but in general I've found uh, people have been quite open uh, to the idea that uh, one can be a, a scientist and a, a Christian believer so that that in my own experience that has not been very uh, problematic and if I might share just you know one example um, you know one might think of MIT the sort of high temple of science and technology in the US perhaps in the world um, as, as a place where people would expect there to be little Christian influence but in fact I mean there are lots and lots of Christians on the faculty at MIT uh, many of whom I know um, and uh, these people are if anything um, more active and better represented um, uh, overrepresented in in the administration and in the leadership of uh, of the institute, perhaps that's because Christians, you know, have a have a sense of service and a, a willingness to um, take on those roles. But um, I think um, the idea that you know somehow Christians are, are incapable of being um, received into an, an, an active part of the sciences and of engineering is, is simply a mistake. That's not been my personal experience. 
Have you found that there's an international difference? You did undergraduate studies in the UK yep. and then your doctorate in Australia, you teach in the United States, so you've interacted with both faith and science communities literally around the globe. Um, is it different from country to country, culture to culture? Um, I think it's a little bit different, um, and and um, the differences are predominantly more in on in among the Christian um, cultures of the Christian um, communities uh, in the in the two countries. I think there is um, in the UK and in the in Australia far uh, less uh, suspicion, um, particularly of uh, origins, science amongst the Christian communities than there is in the U.S. I think in the U.S. Um, people are much more nervous about evolution and the age of the earth and things like that um, amongst the Christians than they are in the U.K. and in Australia. And why that is, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, but I, I sometimes speculate the part of it is um, that in Australia and of the United Kingdom, Christians are a rather smaller fraction of the population as a whole, and Christians actually have um, more important things to discuss and to argue about um, than you know whether evolution is true and so forth. That's one aspect. I think also there is more of a history of uh, in the UK and uh, in Australia of academic engagement um, in in the Christian Church uh, than there is amongst evangelicals so recently in the US so I think that I think the US has experienced a kind of uh, separation of e evangelical Christians from academics which I think is unhelpful but you well, know the American side of, the American yeah, side right. of the history also includes the scopes trial and, and aspects of uh, our national journey that's different than uh, exactly than exactly 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 and, and that kind of thing didn't happen in the, U yeah. the UK you have been really helpful to me personally in distinguishing between science and scientism. I remember first hearing you speak about this when we were in New York and then that drove me to what you have written and it just was a most helpful perspective that I really want you to share with others. So explain it. Yeah, fine. So. I think many people start from a, a belief or an expectation that science and religious faith are somehow at war or at odds, um, that they're belligerents um, and there's a big argument between them. Um, I actually, as I said, don't think that that's the case uh, and I think there's good reason um, to suppose that that's not the case if you just simply look at history. But I do think that there is um, a kind of strong argument in our society today between, um, between a certain approach to science, which is what I call scientism, and, and Christianity and religion in general. So the distinction between science and scientism is that science is the study of the natural world, but scientism is a an extrapolation of that, a sort of metaphysical extension of that to a, an erroneous belief that science is all the real knowledge there is. Uh, and I th believe that scientism is very widespread in our society as a whole, particularly in the academy and in, in universities. There is a kind of 
um, background presumption that somehow science is all the real knowledge there is and that anything that isn't science and, and, and that isn't like the way we study nature um, is somehow not real knowledge, it's opinion or uh, superstition or, or maybe just plain nonsense. And, and I think that that attitude is very widespread. And I think there is a hostility, there is a conflict between scientism and the Christian faith, but there, but there is also a conflict between scientism and all sorts of other um, modes of knowledge, academic disciplines like history or um, economics or philosophy or the arts or literature and so on and so forth because I think that our knowledge is not um, all of the same type. It's not all science. Human knowledge has a whole spectrum of approaches and that there is value in all of these other types of disciplines that I just mentioned. And that religious knowledge, the knowledge that we uh, have it, find in Christianity is much more like um, these other types of knowledge, knowledge such as history, etc., philosophy, and so forth, um, than it is like science. I mean, there are experiential aspects of Christianity, and so experiences like experiment, but in general, um, science is based on reproducible experiments. And even though there, are, there is an experiential basis of religion, of Christianity, I think when it comes um, to the, the ways that we know uh, about things in Christianity, then there is a, a, an important distinction between knowing a person on whom you don't do experiments, you don't do, you know, you don't do, devise some kind of scientific test for do, does my wife love me or not, because if you did, you know, you probably find that your relationship would come under great strain if you did. Um, but instead, um, w that knowledge is based on things which are different from the way we discover whether, you know, things fall with a constant acceleration in gravity or light travels in straight lines and so forth. And so I think there's a distinction between science, meaning the natural sciences, and our other types of knowledge. And, and it's not just a distinction between science and religion, which is what, what is often drawn, the, the distinction that is often drawn. No, it's actually a distinction between science and lots of other approaches to human knowledge which are embodied in these other types of disciplines. So that there is a sense, you know, there is a sense then in which scientism is a religion of its own. Well, it's certainly a metaphysical position. It's a, me a metical, metaphysical viewpoint. And actually, it's a metaphysical viewpoint with such overwhelming consequences for, the, for one's general view of the world that it certainly serves many of the same kinds of purposes and uh, roles that religion serves for, for people um, for people of religious faith. So, it's, so you're right, it's, it's not unreasonable to think of it as a, a kind of religious position, and it's certainly a position which is a philosophical, metaphysical position, which is unproven. In fact, um, that's one aspect that's sort of vitally important to realize, is that people um, often speak as if 
the successes of natural science give a sort of endorsement to the view that science is all the real knowledge there is. But in fact, scientism is not proven by science. It's not a part of science. It's not a presumption that is necessary for science to function. Um, it's, it, it's distinct itself from science. In fact, it's, it, it, it's, it's an aspect of um, the world that cannot be proved by science. What's helpful to me is that appears then to say that the polarization is not between Christian faith and science. If there is a polarization, it's between Christian faith and scientism as either a religion or a metaphysical philosophy, but that's where the polarization is the greatest. Exactly, and I think that that's, that's clearly the case. And so um, there are those who would want to promote the scientific viewpoint um, and to, and they often do so uh, speaking as if science and scientism are one and the same thing. But that confusion is crucially important and it, it's vital to draw a distinction between science and scientism. And actually that distinction is not often drawn even by uh, people who are not scientists, people from other disciplines, people who are at pains to criticize um, the scientific move. So within, this, within ac academia in the last few decades, there's been a whole approach to knowledge and understanding that it goes by the general title postmodernism. Um, postmodernism is at pains to criticize um, all kinds of claims to universal knowledge. And what they do is to criticize, in many cases, the claims of scientism. And in that respect, I think the Christians can be, can be positive about postmodernism. In a certain sense, postmodernism is a rejection of, of the scientific uh, viewpoint that has been so predominant in our academy for so many decades. Um, the problem, though, with postmodernism is that it often sort of throws out the baby with the bathwater, uh, the baby of science. Um, and the bathwater of scientism um, are different. And I, as a scientist, don't want to reject science and undermine science because I think science is very important. That's why I've spent my career doing it. Um, but I do think that the bathwater of scientism is um, you know, ready to be flushed away. And the, better, and the sooner it's flushed away, the better, as far as, far as I'm concerned. There is one more topic that I really need to ask you about, and that is how scientists relate to the church, and I'm thinking maybe especially to pastors. And as someone who for a long time served as a pastor, I, I preached once in a church in Boston, and the night before a leader of the church said to me, whatever you talk about, whatever you say on Sunday morning, there will be someone in the congregation who has a PhD in that subject. And I went to sleep that night thinking, um, this is kind of intimidating. And I would think that for many church lay people and pastors alike to have trained scientists, uh, professors, a uh, scientist who is an MIT professor, that's kind of intimidating. And how does the scientist relate to the church? And how should the church relate to the scientist? 
Yeah, um, I think that was probably an unusual church, although I actually go to a church that's not unlike it. So there are lots and lots of um, university professors in my congregation too, uh, and I'm just one of them. Um, which, by the way, uh, gives the lie to the whole myth that somehow intellectual life and Christianity are, are totally incompatible with one another. I think that's complete nonsense. Um, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's possible for pastors, um, for preachers, uh, to be a little bit intimidated um, by intellectuals, um, whether they're scientists or whether they're experts in other fields. You know, I, I, I don't think, though, that that's necessarily um, the way things should work. And um, in the little essay that I wrote for the God and Science booklet, I, I told a story of uh, my own pastor who was being um, interviewed by um, a um, interviewed for the purposes of a, of a film about science uh, scientist Christians of, of which I was being featured and so he was being interviewed by about me and he said he said um, something like um, well, he's not an insufferably arrogant scientist. <laughs> and this was a rather backhanded compliment. I mean, he, the implication was, well, he is an arrogant scientist, but at least he's not insufferable. Um, uh, I do think that it's possible for scientists to, and other intellectuals to be arrogant in their knowledge. We do have, um, you know, if, we, if those of us who are experts in certain fields do have what we take to be important knowledge about, in my case, plasma physics and fusion. And, and physics generally, um, but I think that it's possible uh, and appropriate for a person of faith, a Christian, to take the view that yes, I can have this knowledge, but that doesn't make me into something special. And in fact, I think the gospel says that it's often the poor amongst amongst us is those who perhaps have no special knowledge or a, a merit um, who are to be given most deep consideration uh, within the Christian life. And so if you think about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus says that the people who are blessed are, those, are not those who are the intellectuals and the people who are high in our society, but they're the people who are low in our society. And I think that um, if a preacher feels intimidated by the intellectuals in his, con his or her congregation, then I think that what should happen is that um, he takes to heart those kinds of uh, um, instructions of our Lord. So when I go to um, church, um, I yes, I'm a scientist, and um, I, but I'm there not to critique the sermon or uh, the service from a scientific perspective. I'm there to benefit in my spiritual life, and I think uh, that can be um, something that's, in a certain sense, more important to me than my science. And so I think pre preachers should take heart that uh, they're dealing with things which are of vital importance to scientists and intellectuals and academics generally. Uh, and um, it says, as the disciples said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's so many more questions to ask and so many more topics. And I think we'll conclude on that high note, saying that our guest on today's conversation has been Professor Ian Hutchinson 
MIT Professor of Nuclear Science and Engineering. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Ian. And for a limited time, and just for listeners of this program, let me tell you how to get a free copy of When God and Science Meet, featuring this essay just mentioned by Ian Hutchinson. If you go to nae.net and then click on the NAE store in the website, and you'll come to the book, and when you do, when you order it, put in the promo code SCIENCE. Just that word, doesn't matter whether it's all caps or not, just SCIENCE in the NAE store at nae.net. And again, special thanks to Ian Hutchinson. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.